Brenna. Brenna's leaving for college in how many days? One? Four days. Going off to uh, FSU. So prayers for her. Um, yeah, we're going to talk about technology today. Uh, we're in this word uh, that we just heard. And uh, before we get there, uh, we'll talk, we'll kind of try to assess where we're at with things. But uh, we've been finishing up this series called God's Design. Does anyone remember what we've learned God's Design for? God's Design for? Conflict. conflict. God's Design for? Marriage. God's Design for? Money. God's Design for worship. God's Design for uh, family. God's Design for identity. So the whole idea in this uh, series has been to kind of reorient our minds, renew our minds, make sure that we're living according to God's design, not just uh, kind of our own uh, patterns that we've become used to. So uh, God's design for technology. This was a hard one, complicated one to kind of figure out how to preach. The Bible doesn't necessarily directly talk about technology in terms of you can't look up the word technology in the Bible. But I think it has a lot to say about it. And uh, I think we live in technology. Let me give you an idea of that. Here's a time capsule for me. Uh, how technological has my life been? In middle school, I remember getting broken up with my girlfriend over AOL Instant Messenger. Anybody ever had that happen? No? Okay. Uh, I remember my dad coming down at 5 a.m. and uh, me fleeing to my bed, hoping he wouldn't hear the computer slowly shutting down because I hit the power button and ran to my bed. And by the time he got down, I could hear him coming. I heard his footsteps. I was in bed, and I heard the computer going, and it was still turning down when he came down, or still turning off. So I got in trouble. I got grounded from computer for a while. In high school, I remember uh, getting accused, or getting, um, not accused, but, you know, a uh, teacher brought the, uh, brought the question of whether I had plagiarized a paper off the Internet. I had not. I didn't even really know you could do that. I hadn't really thought that through. But he didn't think it was my writing, and so that was an awkward situation. I also remember in high school helping my grandma learn to email. Anybody? Helped people learn. Uh, uh, I, she died at 92 a couple years ago, and she did learn to email. She did not learn Facebook. A lot of you have, uh, have trained people in these things. Uh, in my 20s, I remember getting lost in a remote part of the mountains in Norway with Lydia. We were, went for a hike. We're like, hey, this is where my family's from. Should be in our genes, right? And like... Eight or ten hours later, uh, the sun had gone down and we were literally like kind of panicking. And then I was like, wait, I have a phone in my pocket. I pulled up my phone, typed in Google Maps, and uh, there was the way down the mountain and showed us our, our location right on top of the mountain. So technological life, I would say I have lived. Highly dependent upon technology, highly wrapped up in it. Gen Z and folks that are coming after Gen Z, vastly more technological. They're called digital natives, people that have grown up never apart from uh, kind of a digital world. So we live in an age today that I think is defined by three C's. These are three of the big C's, I think, at least. Consumerism, so consumption, uh, convenience, and then a big, big one I would say, uh, uh, I forgot what it is, comfort. Yeah, yeah. Convenience, comfort, and consumption. Uh, and if you put these together, like you have a whole life that you can build for yourself. Uh, a phrase I'll often hear uh, in culture today is there's an app for that because there's literally an app for everything. Who here relies on apps as part of your life? Apps on your phone. Take them away and our lives would be different. Here's the question. Do we know what the waters are that we're swimming in? Like if you go to the beach and you don't know that there's sharks, 
Uh, you might think that the best time to swim is after the sun gone down, like it's cool outside, the water temperature's going down. You're like, oh man, there's some like bait fish in the water. I might see some, no, like you probably wouldn't do that. You know the waters that you're swimming in. Do we know the waters that we're swimming in? Culturally, technically, practically speaking, but like what is this day that we're in? Here's a proposition for you. I think Christians regularly need to, number one, assess our dependence on the things of the age. In order to, number two, step into dependence on the God of eternity. Then Christians, Christians regularly need to assess, take an account of our dependence on the things of the age. This is a very technological age. We have high dependence on a lot of things. We need to assess what that dependence is if we're going to step into a dependence on eternal things, the things of God. So uh, we're going to try to do that today. First, we're going to assess our dependence, kind of talk through it. And then second, we're going to just look at some scripture to try to uh, increase or renew, reorient our dependence on God. So um, assessing our dependence on the things of the age. Let me just say a prayer and say, Lord, uh, we are not able to save ourselves. We acknowledge that right out of the gate. Uh, You are our Savior. And so please lead us today. I pray that your scripture is wide open and help us to be honest with ourselves, even if it's painful. In your name, Jesus. Amen. Um, technology. Here's the definition of technology. It is the application of scientific knowledge for practical purposes. That's just Google definition. That is uh, Merriam-Webster, I think it is. Uh, That's us taking scientific discoveries, scientific development and knowledge, and applying it to practical purposes, trying to make our lives better, easier, more effective, more efficient. That's been going on for as long as humanity has been on the planet, from what I understand. Another definition that I like a little better, because I think it gets more at the heart of it, is tailoring our environment to our needs, goals, and wants. Technology, at the very least, is tailoring our environment, shaping our environment to our needs. That's survival. That's basic. This is what humans need to do. Uh, It goes a step further when it actually starts to become about our goals as a human race or our goals as individual people, our goals in business, how much of innovation has been driven by business. Uh, It goes a step further, I think, when actually we're tailoring our environment to suit our wants. I think we live solidly in that era, the era of tailoring our environment to meet our wants. And I wonder if we even know what it's like to not have what we want in various areas. So let's, let's, take, a, let's take a little uh, review of history here. Here's the last hundred years living in homes for Americans. Ready? Uh, you can shout it out if you think you know what it is. What are some of the major innovations, inventions of each time? In the 1920s, what did we get that changed our home life? It's only a hundred years ago. Electricity spread commonly. That was, it went from 35% of homes at the beginning of the 1920s to 68%. So in the 1910s, can you picture this? I mean, 100 years ago might seem like a long time ago, but the human race has been around a lot longer than that. So this is relatively recently in our little human history. We had people in the 1910s, less than a third actually having electricity. By the 1930s, more than two-thirds had it. Most people had electricity in their homes. What a revolution. Can we just like put on our wonder caps for a second and think about this? This literally changed everything. Has anyone here gone for more than like a hurricane week without electricity? Anyone ever? Anybody? Camping maybe? Or maybe it's just a really bad hurricane hit or something? Uh, oh yeah, Equatorial New Guinea. There we go. Uh, electricity, but also cars. Cars, there started to be a car for every household. Today, ironically, there's actually a car in the U.S. for every person of driving age. 
That's the uh, ratio of it. There's a lot of cars driving around. 1930s. What happened in the 1930s? A big, big one. Communication. Radios. Radios became commonplace, totally allowing for the quick movement of information between a whole lot of people. Also, probably manipulation of the masses a little bit began in a more effective way, not just newspapers. 1940s, what did we get? What was commonly, not quite yet, commonly in houses, hot water and uh, another essential element of plumbing, hot water and indoor toilets, indoor toilets. Y'all, people were going outside before the 1940s to use the bathroom. They also were not having hot water on tap. What a different life. Can you imagine it? On the flip side, also in the 1940s, what came into common distribution amongst, got into the majority of homes? Refrigerators and freezers. Oh, I forgot washing machines on this. That's a game changer too. I don't know where that came in. So refrigerators, freezers, hot water, uh, indoor plumbing, uh, toilets. This is crazy. This is like revolutionizing the American home. Uh, is anyone like awed by this, that this is not that long ago? Did everyone think that this had been around for like 700 years? Or Yeah, I, I'm not saying I thought that, but I'm a little shocked. 1950s. We already said it. TV. What a revolution, the TV. Uh, also along with the TV, uh, phones, landlines in the majority of homes. And then one more that really changed the way we eat. Commonplace, not just in the cities, grocery stores. Crazy. Y'all, we could all of a sudden go and truly select from this whole plethora of things exactly what you need, exactly what you want, and it's at the market. It's right there for you. This is changing everything. Okay, so now we have tailored uh, experiences in our homes, tailored food. It's kind of shaping our environment to ourselves. 1960s, what was the big one for Florida people? Homes are now being built with central air. Does anyone remember a time before you had central air? Uh, there were obviously in-house units that you could have, but uh, you know this, that was when it actually started being built into new homes, central air. Okay, 1970s, big one for travel. Air travel became commonplace. 1950s, it was still kind of the elite. 1960s, people were breaking in on it. That was when you could still just like literally walk up to the plane. Uh, 1970s is when it became more of a true industry available to a lot of people. Uh, it wasn't until the 1980s that you could smoke on a plane. And then that didn't last, as we know. Uh, 1980s, what happened? Huge personal computers. What else by the end of the 80s? Cell phones. I think we got a picture of this. We documented it, fortunately. Um, who here uh, remembers Saved by the Bell? Anybody? Come on. Who here uh, remembers? It's not Michael Keaton. I was corrected. It's Michael Douglas. Did anyone have that phone? Nice. Business people, probably. Uh, did anyone have one of the two phones in the bottom corners, the Nokia or the BlackBerry Palm Pilot? Okay. Let's go, you guys. Technology. Do you realize, you see how quick this is changing? Like we're getting onto a growth curve here. Uh, 1990s, I'm just going to read it to you. Texting, messaging, word processing, internet, what? And Google searches. This is changing everything now. 1990s, golden age. Here we go. 2000s, Bluetooth, GPS, social media, and what started to bring it all together in the palm of your hand? iPhones and Android devices. 
which has been a competition ever since. iPhone is clearly winning, but uh, the, this is like a crazy curve to history. This is, I think it's called Moore's Law. I can't remember what it's called in technology studies, but where they say computation power has gone up by two, by a factor of two. It's gone up, it's doubled every one and a half to two years. So if it keeps doubling, what happens to that growth curve? It becomes exponential. And they say this will keep going on for a while. So it's like whiplash, sort of trying to keep up with change. Are there any people from, uh, from uh, like a boomer generation or previous generation or even Gen X that are starting to feel some whiplash with Gen Z? Are there millennials who are like a little bit of whiplash with Gen Z? Like, holy cow, they know everything technological. This is like we are way behind. I'm on a Snapchat group that I got added to, which I love that Luke was like, yeah, you got added to that group. Like, that's a rare thing. I got added to the group with some of the college guys in here, and I'm like, I, I'd have to live my entire life looking at my screen to keep up with this Snapchat group. For them, it's like easy. They're just pick, but I'm like, I'm already getting behind. Can you see that? There's an acceleration. There's a growth curve here. And so really, I think the current age we live in is kind of the app age, right? Like, there's an app for that. Who here relies on apps? We already asked that. What if we took those apps away? So uh, how did we get here? How do we get to an age of such convenience? Massive convenience changes just in the last hundred years. How do we get to an age of such massive consumption patterns? Like we can consume basically whatever we want, digitally and physically, all the time, as long as you have just enough money to do it. How do we get to such an age of comfort? Like we don't even know, like, if, if I had played a trick on you, I should have done this, darn, and I had turned the AC up like three or four degrees, who would be like, gosh, it's hot in here. Like, what's going on with our AC? Four degrees? Like, this is, this is sweltering. Like, don't they know how to set the AC? Some of you are already like, it is sweltering. Turn it down. Some of you are like, it's too cold. Turn it up. We literally are so baked in this environment of comfort, convenience, and consumption. Can you see that? Along with it comes a lot of instant gratification. So, how do we get here? Let me read you a quote from the 1600s. This is crazy. 1600s. When I see the blind and wretched state of man, and let me just tell you right out of the gate, I'll just let you know, this is Blaise Pascal. Uh, he was a brilliant mathematician, philosopher, Christian, and, uh, and he's reflecting on people who don't know Jesus and and uh, he's just applying his mind to that task. So here we go. When I see the blind and wretched state of man, when I survey the whole universe in its dumbness, and man left to himself with no light as though lost in this corner of the universe, without knowing who put him here, put him there, without knowing what he has come to do, without knowing what will become of him when he dies, incapable of knowing anything, I am moved to terror like a man transported in his sleep. Then I marvel that so wretched a state does not drive people to despair. Then these lost and wretched creatures look around and find some attractive objects to which they might become addicted and attached. 1600s, you guys. 300 years-ish, I mean, give or take, not quite, before any of these conveniences that we literally live in and swim in, he was already like, yo, I'm looking around and people are like, should be like in despair over the state of the universe and salvation and everything. But people are literally just like frogs cooking in a pot. They just put something in front of their eyes that they don't have to see where their lives are going. He says they are addicted and attached to, uh, to attractive objects. Could that have been written in the 1990s or 2023? 
1600s. This is the guy who invented the syringe. This is the guy for whom the Pascal unit of measurement in science is named. Brilliant guy. He was just using some spiritual insight to look ahead at the times to come. So uh, what does this look like? It looks like a world that we live in that I have one more quote here. It says, in this world, we run heedlessly into the abyss after putting something in front of us to stop us seeing it. The story of the human race. Running heedlessly into the abyss after putting something in front of us to stop us from seeing it. Running off a cliff while looking at my cell phone. Texting while driving. I do, do that sometimes. I apologize. I'm actually killing that habit. Uh, the uh, the, the uh, young person, but maybe I've continually seen even uh, middle-aged folks walking on their phone. It's just something that is in front of you at all times. But it's not just that. It's all kinds of technology. So uh, I want to ask you two questions that help us kind of uh, diagnose this. First of all, modern technology, this world that we live in, is it necessary for thriving in your opinion? Is it necessary for thriving? Yeah. I would say in most of our opinions it's necessary for thriving. If you're like... Uh, like, if you're just hardcore and you're like, nah, it's not necessary, we don't need it, okay, we're going to take away your refrigerator, take away your freezer, take away your convection ovens and your microwaves, we're going to take away your AC, uh, not just your AC central air, but your units as well, we're going to take away uh, airplanes, take away internet, take away Google, take away phones, take away all these things. Will you be thriving tomorrow? No. Like, we don't have really a doubt about that fact. Second question, all this modern technology, the things that we're swimming in right now, are they necessary to spiritual life? Interesting. Is that a clear, decided no? So, I mean, can they be helpful? Yes. Some students were like, hey, no, it's helpful. I like to be able to FaceTime my friends and talk about the Bible. I'm like, sure, that's primarily what you use your phone for. I know. Uh, but... So we've got this idea of thriving, not even just idea, this reality of thriving that we would fight to the death for, and yet that idea of thriving somehow doesn't include spiritual life, doesn't require or necessitate spiritual life. Does that sound like the modern condition? Evidently, that was the condition back in the 1600s as well. This is the human condition. Not knowing the answer, not knowing where we're going, not knowing what's up or down, not knowing what to do about it, and finding distractions to put in front of our eyes so that we don't have to deal with it. I pray that is not the Christians, but I fear that it often is us in little ways as well. I believe a world centered around technology leads to a life centered around self, not Jesus. A world centered around technology leads to a life centered around self. Just picture it with me for a second. If I have every environment that I walk through is catered to me, temperature-wise, um, like visually, aesthetically, uh, convenience-wise, making sure the you know, Roman roads, how old is that? One of the first pieces of technology. But making sure I can get places quickly, making sure I really have to feel uncomfortable in the process. All these environments are tailored to me. In addition, I have all this technology that is now able to make me meet my consumption desires very rapidly and without a whole lot of deep effort or thought. As long as I have enough money, I can purchase the things that will feed me exactly what I want to be fed, digitally and physically. So this is the world I live in. On top of that, I now have endless options for entertainment, and literally all I have to do is reach in my pocket and pull out my phone. I don't have to interact with anybody to get it. It's there and it's available. 
So do we know the waters we're swimming in? A life centered around technology is just naturally, this is not a condemning statement, it's just naturally going to lead to a life that's centered around self. Everything we live in is going to create this kind of central ego that is in charge and everything revolves around it and I make sure I do everything I have to to keep that self comfortable. What do you think? Woo! So we just got to ask some questions. Right? Like we have to assess our dependence on this stuff and see what it's doing to us. I know this isn't new, but we're just trying to talk about it in a fresh way. So here's four questions. Uh, write them down if you want. Take a picture of the screen, but just like questions to ask yourself. When blank technology, so pick a technology. When phone, smartphone technology. When TV, when air conditioning, whatever it is. Uh, technology is taken away. What is my mood or attitude? That's a good way to diagnose your dependence on that thing. Uh, if you haven't gone without AC in a while, you're probably highly dependent on it without realizing it. Except you do realize it because you run to that thermostat if you've got to change it, right? Uh, next question. What percentage of my income goes to convenience, comfort, or consumption? This is like kind of a really like hairy practical question, but the Bible is really hairy practical. Like it's very in your face. Jesus talks about money all the time. So just ask the question. If you budgeted it out, how much of your income is going to things that are uh, creating your environment of convenience? How much of your in income is going to things that keep you in comfort? And how much of your income is going to consuming the things that you want to consume very, very deliciously and specifically? If it's a lot of it, then like chances are, yeah, we are swimming in this thing and pretty unaware of it. I'm not saying this is a condemnation of us. I'm saying, again, this is just waking up and making sure we're not sleeping in the culture that we're part of. You have to identify, right, the things of the age and your dependence on them if you're going to be able to, like, detox a little bit and make sure you're also or instead depending on the eternal things, okay? How often do I spend time away from my world of convenience, comfort, and consumption? How often do I get away? If the answer is never, and it might be never just because of, like, circumstances of your life, if it's never, then, like, we should just be aware that I might not really even know how dependent I am. How, how many guys or gals in here like camping and you know that it like kind of disrupts your normal daily rhythms and it makes you have to experience something else. It's good for you in that way, getting out into nature. Okay, last one. This is really simple. Where and how to satisfaction, gratification, and peace on a daily basis. Let's just be honest. Where do I seek these things? I mean, let's just be honest. There is no app for those things but are we seeking it in apps? Has anyone here ever spent time trolling through the uh, app store trying to find the right app? Has anyone ever tried to find the right app for like their whole life? I have done that so many times. I'm like, oh, if there was just something that could handle all my emails, all my calendar, all my things. There are apps and they're terrible because you're taking exterior technology trying to make your life better through it. Okay, so ask yourself those questions. That's a good way to diagnose your dependence on technology. But the ultimate of the goal is not to just somehow be this slightly wise person who deals with technology better. The goal would be that you're actually depending upon God more. It's not taking, reducing your dependency on technology so that you can kind of be like a guru in the wilderness. It's actually that you would increase your dependency on God. You're actually dealing with the first thing so that you can step back into the second thing, dependence on God. So here's two scripture principles, biblical principles, for how to increase your dependence on God. You ready for them? Number one, biblical principle, refuse to be enslaved. 
This is like all over the Old Testament, but it's really all over the New Testament. Refuse to be enslaved. Uh, Matthew 5, 29-30, we already had it read. We can throw it up on the screen again. But you heard that language, right? It says, if your right eye causes you to sin, do what with it? Tear it out. Throw it away. Don't even like put it somewhere where you can put it back in later. Get rid of it. For it is better that you lose one of your members than that your whole body be thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes you to sin, do what with it? Cut it off. Throw it away. For it is better that you lose one of your members than that your whole body go into hell. This comes in a context where Jesus is talking about lust. And so we're like, okay, guys, we're like, yes, we understand that. But doesn't this also seem to apply maybe to like a lot of things that we might get addicted to or enslaved to? If there's something that's causing slavery in our life, we're supposed to refuse that. We're supposed to deny that reality. We're supposed to say, absolutely not. I'm a free person. I was made in the image of God. I'm redeemed. I should not belong to anything or any person higher than God. So it's just like cutting it off. I have screen time on my iPhone that cut that uh, actually it's all my Apple devices. It sets in at like 10 o'clock or 11 o'clock. After that, I can barely do anything on my phone. That's because I've demonstrated that I don't have self-control if I have time to sit there and scroll in bed. I'll sit there and do it. So it cuts me off. Um, how do you cut things off? How do you uh, kind of put those boundaries in place? And how graphic does it get? Would someone be to you like, hey, I haven't seen you on social media for a while. You'd be like, oh, actually, I'm taking a break from it. That would be cutting off a hand, right? Like in Jesus' time, he's being very graphic. He's saying, yo, if you cut off a hand, people can be like, what happened to your hand? would be like, self-control, baby. Like, I didn't have it, so I cut it off. Like, couldn't use the hand anymore. What if the Christmas cards that we put out every year had a bunch of people missing hands and missing eyes? What would you know that that group of people were? Christians, let's go. Christian Christmas cards be like, wow, they are really maimed, but they are chasing Jesus for sure. Like they took this thing seriously. Like they didn't want to let things come between them and their God. They don't got many body parts left. Uh, I've heard the argument, well, gosh, if God made it, it must be good. And jokingly, I've often heard that in regards to pot or like drug use or something. If God made it, it should be good. No, 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 no. That's the wrong logic. But I hear it in regards to inventions too. Gosh, if God allowed there to be microwaves, it must be good. If God allowed there to be AC, it must be good. It's like, no, 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 no. God's not an inventor. God doesn't sit up there trying to come up with an engineering solution to make your home more comfortable or your car drive better. God's a creator. He created things out of nothing. We're the inventors. So you live in a world of people solutions, right? Like things made by people to make your life easier or better or more thrilling or entertaining or less boring or whatever it is. And therefore, you need to actually be willing to resist solutions offered to you by other people. Or at least think about them. So God didn't invent it. People invented it. And if you cannot find a way, if I cannot find a way to interact with it in a way that is... Uh, actually like boundaried and reasonable, I probably need to reject it. There's probably going to be technologies in history that Christians just outright reject for periods of time because it's not healthy. Okay, uh, second one. First one, uh, refuse to be enslaved. Does that make sense? It's very easy. If it's an issue, do what with it? Cut it off, at least temporarily. I was just talking to a, a mom who her and her son uh, got off Instagram together for a while because they both noticed that they were using it too much. Right? Uh, second principle, biblical principle. First one, refuse to be enslaved. Second one, learn God's technology. 
Learn God's technology. And this is like really odd to think about, so just put on your thinking cap. This is our kind of closing point, closing thought. Learn God's technology. There's actually technology in this room created by God. It is massive. It blows away anything else that we will ever come up with. He actually came up with it out of the goodness, out of his heart, and out of just like pure delight and desire. It is actually in the pew with you. It is actually seated in the pew, and it is thinking and listening right now, engaging with sermon and truth and biblical thoughts. Earlier, this bit of technology actually sang out to God or bowed its head in prayer. You know the technology I'm talking about? It's you. I know this is like a weird way to think of it, but right, like, like we are part of this world. We've been created, but God created us with a specific purpose, and it is magnificent. Like you are literally the most astounding and miraculous and magnificent thing on the planet. Any invention, very small shelf life compared to you. Any civilization, very small shelf life compared to you. You're going to last how long? Forever. You're literally the most important type of creation in the room. And there's a whole bunch of you here. So what is God's technology? What has he given us that we're supposed to learn, not replace with other technology, it is you, and specifically you in the context of spiritual community. It is you learning to be a Holy Spirit-filled person who studies the Word, is renewed by that Word, learns to pray and talk to God, and steps into His mission in the world. Like, that is the, the life. It's not just the Christian life. It's not just like the church life that I do once a week. That is the life. And this gathering is meant to be the place that renews that and ignites fire into it. And it's where someone who's like kind of a whippersnapper talks to you about your AC unit use. And you're like, who is this kid? What is he talking about? I'm like, I don't know. We just got to wake up. Like, we got to wake up. We can't just like cook our whole life long and then walk safely into the grave, show up to God and be like, yeah, I did believe the Sunday sermons. Got to be like, good. Praise the Lord. You heard the good news. Man, I hope you didn't waste it. You literally have the technology of the universe. You are the center point, the meeting point between uh, heaven and earth. God has chosen to put His Holy Spirit within you. You're the temple of the Holy Spirit. So listen to Romans again one more time. Just hear those first couple verses, Romans 1 through 2, and recognize what this is saying about you. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to what? Present your bodies. Present your what? Bodies. Put a hand in the air and like shake your hand for a second. That's you, right? Like, like jiggle your heart a little bit. Like breathe with your lungs. Like you have two feet on the ground. Like present your what? Your bodies. Present yourself to God. He is literally the all-consuming, the all-worthy. He is everything. And He has asked for one thing specifically. He said, I forgive you. I have reclaimed you. I give you my kingdom. Here's what I ask in return. What? You! Give yourself, he says. Present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God. God says, you know what? All I want is your heart. If you give me yourself, if you give me your heart, your soul, your strength, your mind, that's all I ever wanted in the first place. And you're like, I will, but like Clash Royale on the phone. Like I gotta be playing. Or like I got a solitaire game that's waiting for me. Or like, man, I'm uncomfortable. Turn up the AC. I can't worship in here. God's like, I don't care. I just want you. Whatever the discomfort. And I think in our age, he would warn us that if we are cooking in an age of convenience, consumption, and comfort, it might be very easy to think that like we've done enough, but most of our life is actually built around ourselves still. 
So like, what if, here's my proposal. Here's kind of the negative side of it. Negative side of it is that a world centered around technology, we already said this, leads to a life centered around self and addiction. And then, and then you can spend weeks in addiction to technology, and that leads to these Sundays of like spiritual recovery and kind of diminishing returns, right? Like I'm tired on Sunday and I just wish I'd done a better job. What if instead, here's a proposal, what if we spent today, this Sunday, just resting in the Lord together? We're already doing it right now. You're sitting under the teaching of the Word. This is good. This is a good practice, a good habit to have. What if we extend that through the rest of the day? What if this is a Sabbath together? And what if that day spent resting in the Lord leads into a week of depending on our shepherd, right? Like not another technology addiction week, but what if we actually are detoxing a little bit? We're now letting the shepherd lead us. And then what if that leads into a life that is actually centered around the shepherd, a life of mission, a life of prayer, a life in the spiritual community, but also bringing good news to the world? Does that sound like the right use of technology? And is that really about if you have all your conveniences today or not? It's really not. Lydna's AC has been out all summer, and I tell you, we were so grumpy at the beginning after we tried the first fix and it didn't work, and then we tried a second fix, it didn't work, we're spending money on this, we're now waiting for an AC unit. It's been a grumpy summer, but yesterday, Lydna and I looked at each other and we're like, I don't even think we need AC. We're like, maybe we're lying to ourselves, but we're just kind of chilling. What is it in here, like 82? But we feel great. Because our bodies like, didn't actually need that thing, we adapt to it. I'm not saying AC is unnecessary. It's profoundly necessary. But I'm just trying to suggest that if we don't re-examine, if we don't kind of reorient around God, we can just live this kind of self-centered world that actually uh, leads to less than flourishing and leads us more into the cycle of addiction to this thing that we try to please ourselves with. A phone, a TV, whatever it is. So let me pray for us. Um, Let's just put it in his hands. Lord, I thank you uh, for all the hands in this room. Just like the, the beautiful technology of a single human hand. I pray for all the hands in this room. I thank you for all the times that they have been laid on shoulders and spoken in prayer, spoken words of truth and life over people. Uh, visited hospital rooms and prayed for people in hospital beds. I thank you for all the voices in this room and the magnificent technology that that is, this musical instrument that we carry with us everywhere we go, getting to sing to you, getting to speak words of life uh, and goodness to other people. Lord, I thank you for all the hearts beating in chests, literally just for your glory, God. It's not for our convenience. It's not for our comfort. It's not even for our consumption. It's for your glory. We honor that, we recognize that, we make a triumphant return to just proclaiming that you are the one that's worthy of it all. Uh, we love you, Lord, but we need your help to put you first. So we ask for that help now. In Jesus' name, everybody said, Amen. Amen.